So if you've got your Bible, Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18, that is what we'll be reading. If not, I think it's printed there on your sheet, and uh, we'll read together. Here we go, verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may, be, may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor circ- uh, neither circumcision counts uh, for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Men, this is God's Word. Every Word of God proves true, the Scriptures tell us. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Will you pray with me as we ask God to open our eyes to His Word? Oh Lord, would You beat down dumb hearts that we might hear You? Would You open blind eyes that we might see You tonight? Lord, I ask this, that You would be made much of. Would You be with the One who teaches and those who listen? that Jesus would reign supreme in our hearts and our lives, that we might know real mercy for our real sin. Not pretend mercy, but real mercy. Lord, we ask this because You are good and kind. And it's in Your name that we pray. Amen. Well, um, one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, yes, I talk about movies often, but is, uh, is Napoleon Dynamite. And uh, yes, I actually used to be able to do the dance that he does at the end. Uh, I learned every single one of those moves at one point. Don't ask me to repeat it. But, uh, and one of my favorite characters in that movie, if you've never seen it, is uh, this guy named Uncle Rico. Now, uh, Uncle Rico, uh, he has, uh, well, he, let's just put it this way. If you've never seen the movie, the guy is a washed up football player who's living not on the past but on the dreams that he had in the past, okay? You see, he thinks that he is this he's just awesome football player that could have been someone. And at one point in the movie, he says to, I think it was Kip, he, with the mountains in the background, he looks at him and he says, you guys know this, how much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over them mountains? Yeah, coach would have put me in the fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. I mean, the picture is one of bravado and ego and boasting that is absolutely hysterical because you kind of know that there's nothing there of substance. You see, Uncle Rico's life in the present isn't much. He's a bum, always looking to get rich with some sort of glamour shot scheme and worrying about about time travel. You know, deep down, he knows that his life amounts to nothing. So he has to resort to boasting in his past. It's not just that he wants to do this, because he certainly does. No, it's that he has to do this to give his life any sort of meaning and value. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I see myself like crazy in Uncle Rico. Why? You see, I can resort to boasting, too, about people's approval of me. You see, I, I, I want my preaching to be really good. I want RUF to grow. What about you? You see, I want to be a good dad and a good husband, but what about you? What sort of thing do you find yourself wanting to talk about? What do you want to find your heart boasting in to give your life meaning? Try these on for size. How about this? How about your dress size? Does that fit? Oh, that was a good pun. I didn't even intend for that. Hey, that was good. That's not scripted, folks. That is not scripted. How about your grades? Your job prospects? How about nice being nice to people and wanting folks to like you and approve of you? What about that fraternity, sorority, that group of friends that you would run around with that you would say, my life has meaning because of that? The list goes on and on, right? Well, listen. In this last chunk of Galatians, Paul is going to show us that all of us, no matter who we are, boast in something. Because, like Uncle Rico, listen, we need to know that our lives matter. We need to know that they count in some way. So, we build our very identity on these various things. And Paul, in this text, calls this appealing to something like football or good works or parenting. In order to build a sense of self, he names it one word, boasting. Moreover, he's going to show us that our hearts are bent, y'all, to boast in all of the wrong things. That, that sense of finding our worth, our dignity, our value in all of the wrong things. But for the Christian, they have something in their corner. Somebody cheering them on. They have good news. What is it? Here it is. That in the cross, that you find there an absolutely new identity. And Paul is going to urge Christians to boast, therefore, in nothing but the cross. In doing so, in telling us about this cross, he's going to show us three particular things. They're on your sheet right there. He's going to show us the message of the cross. Secondly, he's going to show us the scandal of the cross. And then lastly, he's going to show us the power of the cross. Let's take a look, first of all, at the message of the cross. You see... Here at the end of the letter, Paul has come full circle. He ends where he began at uh, Genesis chapter 1. You see, he's going to say at the heart of the entire letter has been one thing, the gospel. The good news and its implications. And for Paul, this good news is the message about what has happened on the cross. This, y'all, is what he's so excited about. This is what the message of the cross is. That God has done everything for us to bring us back to Himself. There it is. We said all along that God is satisfied not with our best works and best efforts, but by Jesus' life and death. He lived for us the perfect life that we should have lived. And He died for us the death that, you know what? Every single last one of us deserved. That is why Paul will say in verse 14, look with me, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is showing us 
why the cross matters at the level of His identity, so to speak. Remember, when we boast in something, we are saying that the thing or the ideal is the basis of our lives. And Paul's boasting in the cross reveals his deep dependence and trust in the finished work of Jesus on his behalf. And how this now fills his whole life with meaning and value and dignity. Paul is saying this, nothing else in all of creation is going to give my life meaning except this, that I base every last fiber of who I am, my identity on nothing but the finished work of Jesus on His cross. You see, most people think that Christianity is valuable because it is a nice moral program showing us how to live. In fact, if you were to ask most students on this campus, okay, most would say that being a Christian is about trying to do the right things and live the right way. That's what most people think of when you tell them that you're a Christian. They will say, oh, she or he is trying to live the good moral life. The problem is, is that the way the Scriptures speak is that it has nothing to do with what's at the heart of Christianity. You see, while God certainly cares about the way that we live our lives, y'all, we never start there. That's always a byproduct. Because what is of first importance is the cross, what God has done for us. Christianity always says this. It's a message that starts with the word done. It starts with the word done and then moves into do. And every other religious system, every other paradigm flips it and says, if you want things to be done with God, then you must do. Jesus didn't come, therefore, to start a new religion. He didn't. In fact, He came to shatter it. He came to expose the impossibility of getting God to accept us on our own efforts. Listen, let me show you how this works in your life. One of the joys of pastoring college students is that I get to see change happen in a front row seat. And it's amazing to see this message of the cross come home in people's lives. I can remember meeting several years ago with a female student. And we were talking about the deep shame and the deep regret that she had as she spent her years in college before she came to Jesus, giving herself away to men. Sexually, emotionally, you can write the script. The hookups were common. But listen to what she would say. She says, Ryan, that's not me anymore. God has forgiven me and has clothed me in the perfect robes of Jesus Christ. In other words, Ryan, my identity is not the hookup college girl anymore because of what Christ has done for me. Do you see what she's saying? Because of the cross, the thing that defines me is no longer my sin and brokenness anymore. Rather, the death of Jesus on my behalf is. Can you say that? If you're a Christian, is that the baseline of your life? Is that the thing that gives meaning and value, ultimate meaning and value to your life? Is it the thing that you can boast in? And I want to say this. If it's not, 
If it's not, I can tell you why. Here it is. We're going to launch into it in the second point, but it basically has to do with this. You've not let the cross offend you yet. Offend me, you say. Yes, let's take a look at what I mean. We're going to look now at the scandal of the cross. By making the cross the object of his boast, Paul was saying that nothing else could be. Nothing else, in other words, would be the thing that he would build his identity on. That is what the infamous false teachers that we've talked about all semester long were trying to say. You see, they were trying to force the Galatians in verse 12 to be circumcised because they believed that to really be a follower of Jesus Christ, sure Jesus was good and we needed Him, but He wasn't sufficient. He was necessary, but not sufficient. If you really wanted to be a faithful follower of Jesus, you must observe the totality of the law of Moses. You must follow all of its rules and regulations. That is what Paul means there in verse 13 when he says, they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. What does he mean when he says to boast in your flesh? Here's what he means. The Judaizers, these false teachers, were using people to make themselves feel good for their own ends. You see, they didn't want to be persecuted, so they wanted a following of people instead. Their identity was bound up, like for many of us, in approval. This is what they wanted. This is what they boasted in. And the cross was utterly scandalous to them because the cross said that all of this counted for nothing. It doesn't matter how many people you have in your club. Paul would say earlier in Galatians chapter 5 that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, all that they had used to make themselves okay counted as absolutely nothing. It scandalizes anything and everything, you guys, that you want to build your life upon besides Jesus. Have you let the cross kill you in that sense? Has it made a scandal of your life? You see, As one pastor put it, the gospel has a bitter shell with a sweet inside. Have you tasted its bitterness to be able to get through it so that it would be sweet? You see, the mercies of God are only as rich and as wonderful and as delightful as you let it crush you and show you how sinful you really are. How much in need of salvation you really are. The gospel will never be sweet to you until it does that. Think about it like this. In the last Harry Potter book, Harry finds himself stripped of something that has been with him ever since he found out that he was a wizard. After his wand was shattered, we read this. He had had spilled his own blood more times than he could count. He had lost all the bones in his right arm once. This journey had already given him scars to his chest and forearm to join those on his hand and forehead. But never, until this moment, had he ever felt himself to be fatally weakened, vulnerable and naked, as though the best part of his magical power had been torn from him. You see, Harry hadn't just lost his wand. He had lost a piece of himself, precisely because he had placed part of who he was into that wand. 
And the cross strips us, y'all, of all that we have relied on to make ourselves feel valuable and to give our lives meaning. Only God can make things right between us and Him, not us. Harry felt as though he was nothing without his wand. He felt he was naked because, in fact, he was. Listen, y'all, this is why the cross is so scandalous. It strips you of all that you've relied on to give you a sense of worth and value and leaves you feeling naked. I'm reminded of a student who told me this. If I'm not a cheerleader, I'm nothing. Look, that's not me making something up. Those are the exact words that she said. If I'm not a cheerleader, I am nothing. I don't know who I am without it. And if you've never tasted the bitterness of the scandalous message of the cross and seen your own sense of helplessness helplessness before a holy God, there is no sweetness in the message of the You don't need it. The scandal of the cross, therefore, is that it will always expose and crush the things that we're building our identity on besides Christ. One of the things, let me drive this home for students, one of the things that you hear a lot on this campus is, sure, I'm a Christian. I believe that God loves me. I believe that I'm a sinner and that I'm helpless without Him. But, here it is, what difference does that make if I don't get the best job somewhere after graduation? If I don't have that, then I'm nothing. Now look, most people would never say that. But that's what's going on at the level of the heart. And at that level, what you're saying is, is that Jesus is not really my Savior. My job is. Because it is the thing that gives my life value. It is the thing that gives my life weight. It is the thing that makes my life matter. You're saying that your life is nothing without that job? Really? Listen to me. Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that your life only has meaning and value if you get that job? Look, if I may be frank, might I suggest something? That no matter what that thing is, it's not a job, it's a boy, it's her, it's approval, it's success, whatever it is, I want to suggest to you that your desires and longings, they're, they're weak sauce. It's weak sauce, y'all. And that's what leads C.S. Lewis to write his very famous words. Listen, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Are you? Am I? Am I too easily pleased? You see, what are the things out there? They're giving my life meaning and value. What am I desiring to sort of give my... What am I boasting in? Look, has the cross shattered the things apart from Jesus that you most hope in and find meaning in? Whatever they are. Has it scandalized you? That's what it must do. Because until it does, you'll never know the real freedom. You'll never know the real joy that the gospel of Jesus Christ really brings. Which is exactly where Paul and we now go. Let's take a look at the power of the cross. A couple of springs ago, I don't know how many of y'all heard this story, 
but down in Houston at, I think it was called the Texas Heart Institute, there was a man named Craig Lewis who found himself in completely dire circumstances. His doctors had told him that his heart was failing him and that he needed a transplant. Well, they never could find a donor, and he consented to actually having that transplant in another way. What do I mean? He needed a transplant, and in fact, he got one. The next day, his new heart was working absolutely fine. It was placed inside him like these things are, and he woke up the next morning, and the doctors came in his room, and he was working on his computer. The interesting thing is that if being a human meant and being alive meant having a pulse, he was neither. The effect of the surgery left him with a new heart, but without a pulse. How? How? You see, Craig Lewis was the first person to have placed inside him an artificial heart. And this new heart, rather than pumping like yours and mine, worked like a, like a turbine, like a hose, and it was just a continual flow. So it left him without a pulse, without it beating the love-dub of our hearts. He was, as it were, a new man with a new heart and a new lease on life. I share that story with you because I want you to look at what Paul says in verses 15 and 16 about those who are in Christ. Do you see it there? He says this, that for neither circumcision, uh, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. I want to focus in on that word creation. The imagery Paul is using there harkens back to the language from the book of Genesis where God, out of nothing, created everything. In fact, the word there is, is, is the Greek word katesis, which means creation. And it is used 19 times in the New Testament. And when it is, it always speaks of God making the world. It talks about Him creating out of nothing this new place, this new world that He was making. And it's used in that sense except for two times. One here, and the second time in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where He says this, If anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. What is He getting? Why, why do I share that boring grammar with you? Here's why. When God created the world... It was perfect. It was without flaw, without problems. There was no sin. There was no injustice. There was no divorce. There was no murder. There was no relationships falling apart. Everything was perfect. You would not have cried. You would not have wept. You would not have angered because the whole world worked perfectly. And all relationships flourished as they were meant to be. And here's the thing, that when all of that began to unravel like fabric in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, God made us a promise. And He said, what you have ruined, I promise to put back together. In fact, we hear from Revelation 21.5 that Jesus' promise to you and to me and the world that we live in is this. Behold, look, listen. I am making all things new. This very moment, that is what God is doing. He is making everything new. But do you want to know where this new creation begins? The staggering news, y'all, is that you and me are not just part of the new creation. 
We are the new creation. The new creation isn't just something that we participate in. No, you and me are the tip of the spear that breaks in that the new, the new world that is coming, that new order, the tip of the spear that breaks into this world is you and me. We are new creation. That is our new identity. And that is what the power of the cross does for us. It utterly reshapes us and tells us that you and me, as flawed and as sinful as we might be, are the literal inbreaking of the world that is to come. Holy moly! Do you get that? Do you know who you are? Do you understand if you're in Jesus? Why that makes the best job suck? Why it makes the best of marriages seem like a lame friendship? Why it makes the cutest guy and the hottest girl seem like garbage, so to speak. Because of your new identity. You are literal. I don't even know how to say You're the new heavens and the new earth right here and right now. Who talks about this stuff? What religious system gives you this except Christianity? Look, when we are remade by Christ... We are an inbreaking of the new world order that is to come about one day in full. You and me and every other person who's ever received Christ, you are an appetizer to the watching world of what is to come. Now you tell me something. What if that was what you began to see and to believe about yourself? What if that was what you began to see, what the power of the cross does? I haven't forgotten Craig Lewis. Here's why. If you were to listen to the words of Ezekiel, who spoke literally hundreds of years before Jesus ever came on the scene, he promised something. He said that there was going to be a day when God would come and He would do this. Listen. I, God, will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey all of my rules. Like Craig Lewis, we have that new heart. Y'all, we are free. We are free. We are free from ourselves to obey everything that God has set forth for us to do. Remember we said, don't use that new freedom to indulge the flesh. But use that new freedom, what you really are, to love your neighbor and to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You see, once you have been saved by God's free and lavish and extraordinary grace, you get a new heart. That hard one that you used to have is removed, utterly done away with, and you're given one that is sensitive to learning about God and walking with Him. Grace never ever frees you to sin more. Rather, you're given a new heart, God says. One that frees you to walk with Him in obedience. Now look, does that obedience merit us anything before God? Does it win us something? The answer is no, never. But the obedience that follows from a heart changed by grace 
is the one that reveals. It shows forth to the watching world what God has already done for us. Our works never save us. The gospel, as we have said all semester long, liberates and transforms you all the days of your life. You are an inbreaking of the new heavens and new earth. This is who you are. It defines you more than your last name. It defines you more than your skin color. It defines you more than the way your eyes look. This right here is who you are. There's life there. There is life there. And I long for you to begin to live out of it. You will be happiest when you see it and when you begin to exalt yourself and delight yourself in God and all your ways, thoughts, and beliefs because of what He has done for us on the cross. And when we walk this way, you'll notice in verse 16 that peace and mercy are upon us all the days of our lives. We said at the beginning tonight that whatever we boast in is the thing for which we would die if we didn't have. I want you to see the message and the scandal and the power of the cross is centered on a man who really did die so that he could have what he wanted. What was the thing for which death would be no barrier for Jesus? Why? Why would Jesus die? What could be so important to him that he would go to death for it? He had the power to stop it. What was so valuable to him? One word. You. You. That's why he would do it. Let that move you. Let that sink deep in your bones. Let that be the thing, y'all, that gives weight, dignity, and meaning to your life. All semester long, the message of the gospel has been this. We do nothing. God does everything. And because of that, you now have freedom. Freedom to walk in His ways. It's been a wonderful semester to be along with you. My encouragement is this. Wherever you're at, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, believe this tonight. Believe it, whether it's for the billionth time or whether it's for the first. I urge you to believe it. It would make me happy. Will you do that? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this message tonight. I pray that you would, O oh Lord, make these things real in our hearts, that we might see Jesus as beautiful. Thank you for what you have done for us. O oh Lord, could it be that this is who we really are? It's absolutely staggering. And thank you for it. Lord, forgive us when we look to other things to give our lives meaning and value when this is who we are. We pray this all in your name. Amen.